Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where three hair whipping, heel strutting Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. Okay, that was really late, guys. Like, we need to get it together. What? Get it together. I'm just trying to pause so that you guys could come in. So I go, we're giving you a hot cup of fish tea. One, two, three. Bottoms up. But literally, what I just I feel like a three count. But, like, are we doing, like, regular count or, like, Mississippi counting? Like, what's the pace? I mean, I don't think it's difficult because it's a Jamaican. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. I'm just saying. Anyway, how y'all doing? Hmm. I've been up to Malf. No, I lied. I've been up to the Malfi sense this oh. week. I mean, I believe it. But I was going to say that. No, but no, the Malfi sense, somebody won't happen. Won't happen, never happen. But no, it's been a good week. Good old Kiki week. Actually, I've been having really a lot of fun this week. Just, you know, my friends and the kind of foolish banter that we get on with it's been a good week for friendships and still trying to find somebody to employ at work i need somebody else in my department what's the what's the job yeah what's the job oh well no we put it out a couple of times well but we're looking for a policy and advocacy officer at j flag i mean it's kind of hard to describe what you do but essentially more somebody be a mini me oh dear. so yeah good luck with that that's what I'm looking for. Okay. <laughs> well, not exactly mini-me in terms of Glenroy, but mini-me in terms of the functions of being one of the voices of the organization and coming up with new ideas for what we need to be working on kind of thing. So, yeah. Okay, great. What, what have you been up to, Kareem? Apart from trying to get ready for this Jamaica trip, it's been... Well, that's really much what my time has become. Like, I, I'm very consumed with preparing for Jamaica and packing the clothes and the right clothes and making sure I have enough clothes. And Cornell, you know me very well, so I'm always overpacking and I never feel like I have enough. And so I'm, like, trying to convince myself that you're good. A couple shorts and some T-shirt, because ja- Jamaica at right? Jamaica always at, but I just bring shirts and T-shirt, bring other things, too. bring a variety. I mean, yeah, but still, it's just like, uh, I don't know. I'm just, and I just one week I come for. Yeah, but, all right, the last time we went to New Orleans for a week, I alone had two suitcases. I had a, two 50-pound suitcases plus a carry-on. But no, so, I like, think you just travel to, so I understand. You have to have options. I right, said, right, because I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to get into. You I, know, it's just... And certain clothes take up space, like came take up space, even if you fold them, you know. Right, right. The shoes, the shoes. And they have a care of shoes, so no matter challenge myself to all right, you know, but I would put one shoes per outfit foolishness, so you know, I'm going to just carry one or two shoes. I can't wear everything, but even then, just feel so restricted and limited. Boy, when you broke her heart. Yeah, I actually want to know if, like, straight guys are have these kinds of problems when they're packing, because I feel like... I mean, to carry this point, having options is important, but I'm wondering if that's also a thing for straight men, usually when they're traveling, but we have we'll to investigate. Get, yeah, we'll get to that, but I, my, my, I think it really depends on the straight guy, because, I mean, especially if you think of some of these dancehall artists, now and right. then, you know, mm. very particular about how they look, so, yeah. But how have you been? And it's been like three episodes now, so we need a mandatory Prosperity Bay update as well, Cornell. Lord. Things are going well. Um, man's is sleeping, so I'm not. I'm trying not to talk too loudly. But um, I mean, I try to say, I try to talk up so that something's on good panerica. But no, things are going well. Had a good week. I just got back from a concert out of town. I had a massage last week, which I haven't had in a while, so that was really lovely. Found my axes, feeling very adult. So no complaints. Things are. Ooh, ooh, actually, so. Um, I don't know how much I got into my whole 2020 list, but I am going to start the driver's license journey again. So I'm going to be doing the kind of written test in the next week or so. So that'll be exciting. Big up yourself. Big up yourself. Yeah, Carnell. Nice oh, yeah. Just for confirmation, sis, when you come here, you got to drive answer, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> because... Some of the things upon the itinerary might require some drive, some driving also uh, uh, up and down, especially <laughs> the ideas that you have for photo shooters. Okay, okay. Allegedly, allegedly. Anywho, I'm supposed to get one big eight seater van. So. <laughs> Anywho, can I run both? But I have a bottle. 
Not a bad time. Anywho, listeners, so this week we're having a very interesting dialogue. A couple weeks ago, Carnell came up with this idea about us engaging with a heterosexual man, a cishet man, and kind of having a dialogue across our differences to kind of learn more and bridge some of the gaps that may exist. That, this is not for everybody because I've been fortunate enough to have a few straight men that I know that are, are, are accepting and welcoming. But for the majority of my experience, I've generally, there's generally been a, well, what a word may I look for? But I've generally kept away from straight men. Um, long story short, and I think that is also informed by the fact that I went to an all-boys high school, and because of that, that kind of teaches you how to think about straight men and how, how they often interact in negative ways towards gay men. I went to a school where if you're found out to be gay, it's possible that you could have been beaten by a mom. So that kind of is in my head. So, And I'm imagining for the, uh, the two of you, that's also a reality. So today we are lucky to be joined by... I know. Are you the doctor? Are you the doctor? Right? We're both doctors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm not about like the medical doctor. Actual doctor, though. I'm the actual doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the actual doctor. Excuse me. Yes, yes I know. That I, I said that knowing that there's a PhD candidate. Otada. <laughs> no, so um, so <laughs> we're joined by Dr. Douglas Fletcher. He's half of the Fletcher twins, and his brilliant brother David Fletcher. He has a PhD in what? Economy? Economics, yeah. right? Economics. Right, right, right. So Douglas, um, and the reason why I, I asked you specifically was because of that, the Men Are Trash forum that you did and, and me did glad did it, Douglas. Jesus Christ. Not to any words that any of my fellow panelists, but it felt, they, they felt like they were perpetuating an echo chamber. Right. So I'm, I'm glad that I could have been there to, you know, break the void. Right. So I, I definitely felt like you were a voice of reason and challenged a lot of the kind of problematic narratives that had existed and confronted those. Um, so I'm glad to welcome you to the Fish Tea Podcast as our my co-host. So thank you for coming. Clap, clap. Woo. I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to this discussion. So um, we're just going to jump right in. So my question is, or rather, maybe you could start by sharing with us your journey to kind of undoing the negative stereotypes you may have associated with gay men when you grew up. And then we can like jump off from there. Boy, Golina, it's a, it a very long and arduous journey. I coming from what I would consider the, the depths of homophobia. I grew up in a Christian home and a lot, my, a lot of my family members are extreme extremely devout christians so as far as we've always known it's you know it's unnatural it's wrong it's sinful to be gay so it took me a long time and i'm not going to lie up until maybe i was about 20 21 before i started and being able to open up my mind to new ways of thinking and different realities before i started being able to discount in my own mind things i've been taught from youth come right up and even when I was able to accept homosexuality in its own essence, there are certain things that it also took me. Like, it's, like I said, it's been a journey. It never all just came one time. When I, when I sat down and said, all right, okay, maybe homosexuality isn't wrong and I was taught wrong. It was still men with flamboyant behaviors. I can't accept that. I can't be okay with that. Before I started, all right, maybe I kind of just need to let people do their own thing. It has nothing to do with you mind your own business. People are who they want to be and let them be that. And that's just, that's just a part of the journey to get to where I'm now. And the point I'm at now, it's, it's, you're not going to be aware of all the problematic ideations you might possess, but all you can do to safeguard against that is to always be open-minded and always remember that there are different ways of thinking of and looking at things. So that's just a look into what my journey has been. There's, there's always something that they say in, in the U.S. where they say, it's easier for someone to be racist in the South where they're not exposed to a lot of black people. And the, the minute you start to expose yourself to the fact that these are people too, you start to understand and realize that there's no reason why you should be separating them from who you are. We're all human. They just, they're just, we're all just different people. As I went to university, I started 
integrating with more gay people and slowly the problematic barrier started to break down. So I think that is really what's responsible for the, the inciting factors in my journey. I just had a quick question. So you said this was something you were starting to, to think about in terms of your own beliefs around 21. And I'm curious as to like what caused that shift? Like what, what was it about that moment in terms of like where you were in your life that led to that? My girlfriend at the time, she was also a Christian. So at that time, I started asking my own questions about Christianity, as in how I feel about it. So basically, I started separating my feelings about religion from my mother's feeling about feelings about religion. So I started to ask a lot of different questions and how I personally feel about religion. And the more I asked about religion, is the less satisfied I was with answers that I was getting until eventually the whole construct of religion just fell apart for me. And, you know, a lot of the things that came with it, including, you know, homophobia. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was also curious, so it's, I mean, you were talking about the kind of journey that you were going through and your process, and you, you were talking about men with flamboyant behavior, and this is often something that comes up um, with other people around how they interact or think of or approach LGBT folks. So someone might come to the notion of, well, you know, gay people, like that might be fine. But like, why do you have to be so much? Or like, why do you have to be so flamboyant or just like out there? And I'm guessing, what was it that bothered you at that time about like men who were flamboyant? To be honest, I think it was, I still had, I still wasn't able to rid myself entirely of homophobic ideations. So seeing flamboyant men automatically meant they were gay to me. And I didn't want to have to see that. I didn't want to have to deal with the fact that, like, it's, it's okay for me to say, all right, they're gay. I just don't have a seat. But in the minute I see somebody being flamboyant, it's like, oh, all right, why do I have to see it? That's really what was going through my mind. Right. Why do I have to see it? Okay. I'm curious to hear about the, and again, this whole idea of like spirituality or your, your relationship with religion. Seeing that you went through that whole questioning some of the constructs, and I've, I've been through that. Like on past episode, I've shared my own journey with that. Where are you now as it relates to religion, Christianity in particular, or just spirituality? I think I'm in, I'm in a nebulous zone between agnosticism and atheism. Okay. I, I haven't really, I, I, I don't really acknowledge any deity really per se. Right. Um, okay. So, yeah, that's where I am with, with, with religion really. But I do believe spirituality is separable from religion. Not you. So in what I generally believe is that, have you ever heard of pronoia? The opposite of paranoia, we generally believe that the, the universe is working towards your better good. Mm-hmm. And that is what I feel. I feel like the, the universe is always working, you know, to have things play out in my favor. I generally feel that way. So my idea of spirituality is accepting the universe. And I know I sound like a hippie, don't worry. I, I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> have the universe as this spirit around us that, you know, not necessarily governs our life and existence, but just kind of, you know, watches us. So that's my idea of spirituality, really. Nice. So my question is, so who would have been like, and also feel free to ask us questions, but like who would have been the first gay person, man or woman, that you felt, you, or the, the impactful one you felt would have kind of helped you have that journey yourself or kind of, was exposing you to that difference in a way that made you recognize that, okay, I need to change what I think about that. Um, and what, and at what stage or age did you kind of engage that particular person? I can't think, I, I can't honestly say that there has been any one person. If, if I was supposed to answer that question, there, there, there was maybe one person that was extremely influential, like spending a lot of time around that person. I don't want to call his name on the, the, the thing because I'm not sure if you know, he's out to himself. Um, but there, there is definitely that one person. I spent a lot of time around him, whole lot of fun, great company. And slowly, he, he helped me to break down a lot of my problematic ideas. So he, I actually made a tweet once about uh, why I have to see when gay men are being flamboyant. And he drove to my hall, the hall that I was living on, and he, he called me to my room and we sat on his car and he, he, 
he told me, you understand why this is problematic, right? And he just broke it all down to me. And it was when he was speaking to me that I started to realize it. So if I had to attribute it to one person, it would probably be him. And I hope you guys can understand why I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to call his name because I'm, you know, I'm not completely sure if he's, he's out, you know? Yeah, we understand implications of outing right, and, exactly. and people, how people right to define themselves and their own identities. What would be interesting is to kind of work through how you, with that kind of change in mindset, would have existed in, you know, like the spaces where you and your boy them and, and, and your dog them sit down and not talk. Because I guess in my mind, that's the space where a lot of the homophobia thrives because the, that space requires the performance of homophobia. And I'm wondering, how were you able then to kind of navigate that? Did you sometimes have to fall back on the homophobia just so that the dog didn't fall to there? Or, you know, what was that like? So the funny thing is, I was actually the, the lagging one in my friend group. I was, because uh, a lot of my friends moved away, you know, and like a lot of them live in America. So they were, they became, they were able to shed their homophobia a lot quicker than I was. So I was actually one of the last of my friends to do it. So I've never really had to battle homophobic narratives around me. However, last, last year at Sunfest, I remember um, I was actually walking with my friend. We're leaving Sunfest at like 7 a.m. in the morning. And one, a gay man had walked up to us and he was being extremely forward, extremely flirty. And I was like, uh, and I laughed at him and said, all right, no thanks, but we're straight. And he said, okay, and he kept going about his business. And, you know, I was okay with that. that was a, it was a very amicable interaction. I told him, no, I'm not gay. And he was like, all right, no worries. And he kept going about his business. Then my friend goes, tired when them, um, tired when them, them come talk to me, them beam on them, and I, and I likes them. And I, like, I, I was like, all right, so why are you acting like this? Why is this, why, why are you being like this? The man said, I, I don't know. I just think I'm natural. I just think I'm natural. And then it was from there that he and I were able to have a conversation. Like I, I tried to ask him, what does, what does he think is unnatural? Because he's not a particularly religious guy. So I'm like, if you're not religious, on what basis are you saying it's unnatural? Like, where is that coming from? So within my friend groups, I've never, like, I, I, I know that I am, my friend groups are not the norm. My friend groups are generally very accepting people, very open-minded people. But in a context with other Jamaican men, i.e. with my friend from Mumbai, I, I was actually had to confront him and sit down and break down with him. But like, let's say in a barbershop, where they're not necessarily my friends, because this kind of conversation does come up in a barbershop about how, you know, a lot of homophobic narratives. Generally, I'm, I'm not going to lie, unless I'm particularly close to them, I'm not going to take them on. Because if, if I try to take them on, then it's me against the entire barbershop, and that's a losing battle. So, like, I will, I will sit down with my barber one way, and I'll ask him, so, yo, you really feel this way? This is because he's the one I'm closest to. So I say, you really feel the same? I say, yeah, that's what we feel. I say, burn them out, burn them out. I say, you understand that the times are changing. And if you're, you're saying burn them out, you're going to have to burn out a lot of the things that you enjoy now. And if you are going to say that, you're just being a hypocrite. So I, was, I, I can have that conversation with him one-on-one, -on -one, but if it's me against the entire barbershop, I'm not going to lie, I'm not taking on that battle. But it, it definitely does present itself a lot. Yeah. And actually, so you point to... And thanks for that. And also, before we even go on, thanks for doing that kind of work. Because I'm a firm believer that um, even though visibility is liberty, the real liberation, a big part of the liberation at the kind of social and community level happens when people who are allies speak up in the different spaces that they can speak up in. And I mean, they're going to be one ear every single time, but strategically, talk up. Mm. Right. right. Yeah. Pick and choose. Yeah, because all of pick and choose to battle them because um, in other time. But critically, you point to something that and maybe Kareem and Cornell can chime in as well. Like, barbershops are not spaces that I enjoy going to. Well, probably not so much now coming I mean, like, I don't need to shave. We need to have a barber shave me, but can I manage my facial here and I have locks now? It's not so much a thing for me now, but at a certain point, it was not a space I enjoyed being in because I knew at some point Batman did like end up get get top at some point it would have come up. I don't know how but it always comes up. <laughs> it always comes up. So I mean and so if I think about the things that I'm that I guess that is always a barrier for me when it comes to like engaging with straight men. I mean I have this general principle of non-engagement when it comes down to cis men. 
I think the most terrifying thing for me is always walking past a group of like four or five, six straight men sitting somewhere or just sitting somewhere. And, and it's really unfortunate because for me, I also interrogate why do I see a group of black men in just being in their own spaces and, and, and think fear from that. But the honest reality is growing up, that was where I was most likely to get some type of harassment, somebody calling me fish or something like that. And so to the extent that I can avoid those spaces, I do. And I, and, um, Cornell Kareem is that an experience that you have as well yeah I'm glad you brought up the idea of the barbershop because even like I said like Jamaica has been on my mind heavy because I'm coming home next week and that's one of the things that I am like dreading to the point where I went out and I bought myself one of those like shaving things that I have never used because I was just like I don't know if they're like LGBTQ affirming barbers that I can go to I don't you know I'm that's one of the things that I'm dreading because I'm going to be there for a week and I'm pretty sure my shape up is going to get worn out by the, like mid trips. So I'm going to want to get a touch up. And I've been thinking about what it looks like to go to one of those barbershops and um, into those spaces. And along that line, before, I mean, if, before Cornell chimes in, I'm curious to hear about like a little bit more about the experiences that you've had in those spaces where you try to speak up, Doug, where you try to, you know, make the case for queer men or just to bring about some understanding, like what are some of the more, um, if you have any stories that you care to share, some of the more ex- extreme or reactions that you've gotten from people? Well, to be honest, I don't have that many. Like I said, I've been very choosy in where I, I fight my battles. The most, the most confrontational one I went, like in a barbershop was when I was on hall. It was a smaller space. When I was living on hall, I was, all right, I'm not going to mean words. I was a fucking man. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if I can curse. I was a man on hall, right? I was on, I was a man on hall, so I can I could speak freely, and you know, I I won't have a a barrage of people coming me down. So I'll be in a barbershop there on hall, and the topic will come up, and then I'll confront the entire the barbershop, and then then there there will always be one person, one person who is who's loudest and and has the you know the most to say about you know why they're against it and this and that. But for the most part, generally. People, you know, they sat down and they listened. I don't know how much of it they internalized, but they, they, they sat down and they listened. So I wouldn't say I had a, you know, I have very many extreme cases because, like I said, I've been very choosy in where I fight my battles. Got you. Yeah, I was just going to, I guess, add my, my two cents really quickly on the, the point about the, the barbershop. That, that is an interesting example i used to dread going to the the barbershop and i always has to do this like mental thing where i'm like okay make sure you're like walking properly make sure you're trying to like deepen your voice if possible you know try to switch up to patwa if you can don't say too much otherwise your voice will betray you and yeah somehow it, it always it somehow finds its way in into a conversation even if it's not like homophobia ex- explicitly you know there might be questions about your kind of like dating or or sexual life or like talking about Woman, and so this is kind of like uh, pressure to perform, you know, one straightness in in a certain kind of way, which was always really stressful. I mean, there are other spaces for that. So I mean, to Douglas's point, the residence hall might be another space that happens. Um, another example from in high school would have been the change room during PE. I didn't want to. I mean, I don't know if anyone had any immediate questions, but one of the things that I was curious about was what are some of the things that you grew up hearing either in the church, in your home, at school, in social spaces that informed how you later thought about gay people. So, I mean, you, you were talking about, you know, experiences in, in the barbershop or like talking to your friends and stuff, but like what were some of the kind of cues growing up that told you, okay, being gay or gay people are like dangerous or like they're abominable or like these are people that I should be either hateful towards or fearful of or, you know, however that ended up being reframed in your context. I think if I interpreted your question right there, asked what shaped my homophobia. I definitely think a lot of it was, I'm not going to lie, it was my mother. She was a devout Christian. She really, it, they, they really embellished that point in church. Fornication and homophobia, I'm sorry, fornication and homosexuality are the two gravest sins you could ever commit. That, they're not neither of the seven deadly sins, but they somehow are two of the gravest sins you can commit. And that is, they just, they just beat that into your skull back over and over again, every Sunday school until you become adolescent, a young adolescent that, you, you know, you, because me personally, I like women and I cannot fathom 
you know, I couldn't at the time fathom a male liking another male or a woman liking another man, ma- woman. So obviously it had to be unnatural. So the seeds that they sow just kind of perpetuate itself into throughout adolescence and into adulthood. But um, a lot of it, a lot of it was a church and it was only, it was only negatively strengthened by, you know, the society that we live in, in Jamaican society where it's further demonized daily um, in the music, in our, in our legislation and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was not until I think my executive thinking kind of developed where I was able to separate, you know, somebody's ideation, like what, what I've been taught from what is problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I could just add really quickly, you were also talking about your experience at that event where a guy was trying to flirt with you, but that sounds to me like one of the more favorable outcomes that could have possibly happened. So often I think it comes, or the, the, the story is that, you know, out of these kind of, you know, predatory, for lack of a better word, gay men are trying to come up to talk to uh, to men. And so I imagine that most Jamaican men wouldn't have responded the way that you do. So I guess I'm wondering, have other people that you've come across had experiences where, I don't know, a gay man might be trying to approach them? And if so, like, how do they typically respond to that? Um, Well... Again, like I said, within my friend group, our responses are usually the same. Where, no thanks, um, I'm not gay. But, you know, people outside of my closest friend group tell me about, oh, yeah, you know, I'm run the B-boy. I'm not taking no bag of talking from him. Can't take to see them. I'm running because I feel I'm going to fist off him. It was, it was super aggressive. Um, that's generally what it is. That's, that's how, you know, they're generally they generally tell me that they respond to gay men that approach them. And then is that, is at that point I'll be asking you, so why, why is that necessary? Like, for example, if, if you approach a woman and she's not interested, how do you feel if she go on the worst? So you, you kind of be angry and you feel shame. Just there are ways to let down people that doesn't involve publicly humiliating them or whenever I, um, I try to draw an analog like that, that's when they become purposely abusive. No, another the same thing, another the same thing. I was like, all right. And it's at that point, I know that we can't have that conversation because, you know, you're not ready to listen. So, on that note, may I fast? <laughs> How often do you have to deal with <laughs> the girls in the DM? And when I say the girls, you mean, I, you know, I mean the gays. How often <laughs> the gays in the DMs? Because, I mean, because I'm not saying so that's why I mean, I said, I me personally don't look straight, man, because I don't have self-acceptance issues. I mean, I don't know nobody would ever want me. But, under other circumstances, mother slide, because you know, you're a handsome young man. <laughs> Thank you very much, Glenn. That's very yeah. funny. <laughs> how do you deal with that? Or rather, how often does that happen? I'm going to know how you deal with it. When you ask how often, whenever I post an Instagram picture, if I get 10 DMs, Eight of them are from men. (laughs) 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 Eight of them are from men. And I respond to those in the same way I respond if, you know, one of the two women was ugly. I just just don't respond. I don't (laughs) respond. And that's it. And to be honest, it's it's because I can't respond to every... Like, if if all I have to respond is like a LOL or a LOOL, then I'll do it. Just send L-O-O-L and that's it. That's fine. But generally, I, I don't respond now. Same way for other girl DM me, I'm not going to respond. If I'm not interested, I'm just not going to respond. That's, that's just how I deal with it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look you up now. Other question. All right, not really a question. More so an invitation. I guess... I also kind of want this to be like a, a dialogue across. So are there any kind of questions or stereotypes that you may have about gaming that you'd like clarified? You know, expose that. So, but like, or rather that other statement that you know would have issues that they've raised that you know you couldn't give a full answer to. I think maybe now is a, an opportunity for us to the extent that we can to answer whatever questions, queries, or stereotypes that may, may have emerged. Okay. I don't think I have any questions immediately, but I just, I just want to point out, um, I think it was Cornell had said that whenever he goes anywhere, he has to 
be mindful of the tone in which he speaks. I have to throw some patwa in there, be mindful of his behaviors. And I did not even think for a second, it didn't come to me for even a, a, a fraction of a second that you guys, you know, have to go through that. Like, have to be very mindful of how you speak, how you act, so as not to be confronted. And so I, that's new to me. That's crazy. Like more of your experiences that, that I'd be actually interested to. I don't mean I don't have any question, but I'd be more interested to hear about stuff like that, like stuff I wouldn't, you know, immediately be mindful of. I could talk about that because that's a lot of the, in full transparency, there's a lot of the anxiety around <laughs> this trip to Jamaica, right? And that's why packing is like such a big, an even bigger deal for me because I am for label's sake, you can say I'm gender non-conforming when it comes to dressing and putting myself together. And so I don't necessarily subscribe to the, the, the heteronormative standards of men should wear this and women should wear that and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of my clothing is pretty androgynous. And so I'm trying to find the most masculine presenting stuff in my closet so that when I'm when I'm back home, I could draw less attention to myself. And like Glenn Rath has, you know, has told us that, you know, you know, people aren't necessarily as confrontational as they used to. But as somebody who has been away for so long and I'm not quite familiar with the lay of the land, I still would have, I'm still trying to play it safe to the point where my nails, I don't even have my long nails anymore. Like I took them off this week. Um, I took them off. I cut my nails. They were mine just in case any other shady bitches want to come from me. They were my nails. And so I cut, I cut them because, again, I'm really trying not to draw that much attention to myself and how I look and how I present myself because I know, one, the environments that I'll be going into. I grew up in Waterford in Portmore. So it's, and I'm going to have to go back to say hi to the neighbors or whatever the case may be to the old ladies that loved me growing up. And so I'm really trying my hardest to not, I don't know, look gay, which is going to be hard for me anyways, because I don't know, it's not something that you can just mm-hmm. shed. But that's definitely like one of the areas that I have some anxiety around. That must be, I, I think I can only imagine how frustrating that must be. Um, because like me, like me, for example, when I want to get dressed, I just go in my closet and take some notes and, and wear it on the road. Now, you can't wear what you actually want to wear the you know the, the the stuff that you think you actually look best in you can't wear that because you don't want to draw attention to yourself that's that's actually nuts to me no i'm saying the funny thing is some of the stuff that i'll that i wear is nothing that cishet men would not have right so skinny jeans straight men wear that right but I, it has always been my experience, even here sometimes, depending on where I'm going, especially like in the Jamaican spaces, like Jamaican restaurants and so on. If I'm wearing skinny jeans, best believe people are looking like, watch out. Yeah. In my mind, I'm just like, Jesus, please. If only them know, say, I offer the same men's website where they probably buy for them one, I'm going to buy my pants. I mean, I might tight that, my skinny pants and see skinny pants with sneakers and a t-shirt. And people are looking at me like, what? Like me, have, like me have two heads. Yeah, and that is so true. That's my experience as well. Like, we don't get to wear the same thing. Everything that cishet men get to wear. Like, we don't get to wear fitted clothes the same way. We don't get to wear fitted jeans. I mean, me, I wear it regardless. I'm in a business at this stage of my life. But we get scrutiny. And if you think about, like myself, how some Jamaican men dress, especially these days, they're very into excess and flamboyance. We're very extra as our people. But when I wear... I could dress up the same way that a dancer dresses for the dancer, but I would get looked on completely differently. And so that's something I always have to think about. But to the extent that, do, can I be bothered to, to deal with the extra eyes that day? Will I be able to ignore it? Or, I mean, so, I mean I'm a bit more deliberate and strategic with how I present, so I, I choose to be extra effeminate, whether it is I'm wearing heels or cape or crop tops depending on where I'm going am I trying to be visible as an advocate and an activist or am I just trying to have fun and 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 so if I want to feel good one day at the office and I decide to wear heels I have to think am I going to be going out on the road today so do I have to bring the flats because if I go out on the road in the heels I might bring unnecessary attention to myself that I'm not interested in so it's all those kind of things so that means I'm going to have to bring an extra bag and I think another part of the reality is I, as soon as I was in a financial place to not have to take public transport, it was the first thing I leapt at without ever looking back. And a part of it is 
taxi men are homophobic a lot of times. The, some of their passengers are very homophobic. I remember one day, may I come on? I only know all the taxi men them love throw one bag of people in at the back of the taxi them. All 50 people around there. So there was this one taxi man and an Alpha Tree made it. And it, I forget no more with taxi from Alpha Tree. If it's Papi, you know, anywho. So this, this taxi man forces me into this taxi. Basically five people on her back. And the guy I'm sitting beside is exceedingly homophobic. And I said, oh, may I try to sit down? And I'm like, no, sir. Maybe one of my foot, them I sit down for my next foot. I'm not even see a face good for see if I did want it or not. Not that I'm even interested in coming in our relationship at the time. So I'm never there for the man. But, you know, it's all of those things that you have to deal with. So for me, I don't go to certain, I don't, ex- I don't navigate certain spaces unless I completely have to. I mean, I got half a tree and it's never a real reason to. That's just my reality. It's much better now, but it's just somewhere that I'm not going to necessarily go come if I don't really have to. And that's crime and violence aside and the possibility of being robbed or whatever aside. It's just Managa go there come with calm, but with the added having to deal with the added dimension of more people staring at me than if I were at Ligani or Barbican or somewhere like that. So that's kind of always something that you have to think about is how visible will I be today and that includes thinking about where you will be today and how you're going to be in those spaces and all of those things okay so question what what spaces do you generally feel safe in like like and we see a lot of gay men at like soccer parties and stuff is it that you guys feel safer in soccer parties or like what like what space do you feel you know safer in yeah, well, for me, I definitely, we definitely feel safer in soccer parties. That's just a reality that we've um, kind of over the past year, few years or so, we recognize that those are more inclusive spaces. Usually, the reality is usually the more uptown area, then people are less likely to say anything. So we, we generally prefer those spaces as well. For me, you is always fine, but I also work there. So it's really work my friend's place, my place, and then the few select, you know, those restaurants around Kingston, and, and that's really all they're doing at Kingston. You got to eat food. Not really much for the outside of that, but, like, restaurants, hotel restaurants, that's where you go to sit and have a, and have a good old kiki um, without worrying about who will see you and how they will respond to you and things like that. But, yeah, that's where we feel safe. Any space where you know that because of the nature of the space, a certain set of people either will not be there or if they will, if they are there, they will act right. That's generally where we feel safer. Okay. Understood. Another question I wanted to ask. So I noticed that you guys are referring to Kareem as she, right? But Kareem said that he's non-gender conforming. So non-gender conforming, does it mean that you don't, conform to any single gender or you don't conform to the agenda that was assigned to you? I mean, on any given day, I don't necessarily subscribe to any particular like gender. And this is where it gets confusing. Because for me, it's really, sometimes I'm just being political, honestly. When I'm in a certain space and I'm, I feel like challenging homophobia or just like the heteronormative norms, I'll go in and I'll say, you know, my name is Kareem Willis and my preferred gender pronouns are he, him, his. And they'll look at me like, huh? Because again, I might have nails on or heels on. And that's just me challenging what people, the ideals that people hold to be like, you know, endear, like masculine. So for me, just like, well, a man can't wear a pair of heels if he feels like it, or just have some nails if he feels like it. And that's just me trying to disrupt the space. When, again, when it comes to me, like adorning myself, my, I guess my, I just, whatever people address me as I don't take offense to it so they'll call me she they'll call me he and I'm just like I'll answer to either one regardless yeah I think on here we just like do we throw around she a lot like I'll I'll literally gender my phone like we like pass my phone she (laughs) so um it's more I I guess like a term of endearment when you hear yeah I was going to add to that so like within our communities I think we do this subversive thing where instead of making he the pronoun that represents everything, we use she. So like, so, so even that thing that Karim talks about, like the phone she, like that's a popular thing in the gay, the gay community. We'll say like the oh she, or the yeah she, or the plate then she, you know. So we will say things like that to kind of, we kind of inverse it instead of he being 
he and she, she is he and she for us. And I think I call that playing with gender. And that's what we, I mean, gay men do and, and people in the LGBT community do a lot. That's separate and apart from how people identify. So for example, one of my children, Anika, she's gender non-conforming and she, she's fine with using he pronouns or she pronouns, you know, whichever one can work for her. But for like other people, it's, yeah, we know when it, like some persons, they have very specific pronouns that they like to use, but that's separate and apart from the way in which me and my other cis gay male friends will call each other she just as Karim said, as a term of endearment, how we play around with each other, like we call each other cis and girls, that it's not about identity, but more about expressing the kind of affection that we have for each other. Would it be fair to say it's almost like the equivalent of you of um, straight men calling each other bro or something like that? It's just... Okay. Yeah, very that. Okay. I have a sister. I have a sister. She's gay. Um, oh, you know, early on when you guys asked me about who who really helped me to affect change towards my homophobic ideas, it would definitely be her, my sister. Um, she came out, I was in my early 20s, I think. Came out to us in her early 20s. And at first, I was definitely very opposed to it. Like, no, you're not actually, this is a phase you're going through. And then after a while, you know, speaking to her, I realized that, you know, this is who she is and this is just how it is. But anyway, the point is that she calls me sis all the time. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I mean, also, sis has become very mainstream, so there's also that. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah so I call my mom sis. It's true. Even my <laughs> today, I was talking to my older brother, and um, I forgot what he said to me. And my reaction, I said, to, uh, and my reaction was, girl. So that me, I tried to. <laughs> Listen, I do that all the time. And sometimes, you know, some gay men are very something about it. Especially like some guys I may be dating or having relations with. Yes. Um, (laughs) So when, like, so when after whatever, we'll be talking and I'll be just talking about my day. I'll be like, girl. And then they'll react like, we just call me. I'm like, calm the fuck down. But use it as punctuation, like, but yeah, some, some gay men and men in general are generally, are like really affected by them being treated as, or being called cis girl or she, so, but me, I always forget, come use it in a very general way, but yeah, there's that. Hey, so this isn't the question, but I, I was thinking about, I guess, so Douglas was reflecting some of what I said in terms of what we have to do. In, in terms of how we, you know, carry ourselves. And I was thinking about this idea of, for lack of a better word, intimacy or proximity. And I was thinking about all the ways that I try to perform a certain kind of straightness in order to be tolerated or accepted in high school. And I don't know if I've, I haven't fully figured out what the question is I'm asking, or if I'm asking, it might just be a general point. But I think most, or a lot of gay men anyway, don't, have like conscious control over how they are in the world in terms of how their body moves, how they sound. And so on one hand, we might be trying to find or establish a certain kind of community. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking specifically as it relates to like attending an, an all boys school in my experience. And so there's this like desire to be a part of a community, but like you don't fit in the traditional kind of sense. And despite your efforts, it's just not, um, kind of working out and so I'm wondering what the responsibility isn't what I'm necessarily looking for but like how might we cultivate ways for I guess straight men to I don't know undo the kind of like exclusionary mm-hmm. culture but I'm also thinking about like your earlier point about you know this man flirting with you and I think okay so the part of it is that like a lot of straight guys assume that all gay men are trying to flirt with them, which is like not the case at all. But if a gay man, whether or not yeah. he is your friend, might assume that... You don't look good. Well, see, that, yeah, that's... But I mean, they, they don't want to think about these things that they, that they actually aren't attractive. But I think if someone approaches you, that person likely thinks or sees you in some way as a kind of safe prospect, which means that you likely have some kind of energy that says, okay, I can you know, have this conversation 
witness to person. I'm also thinking about like how we limit the the depths of friendship because I'm sure there are people that I went to high school with that I was like really cool with that you know once they found out that I was gay that you know relationship can't sustain itself because they're gonna have you know all kinds of corrupted ideas about like what I might want that friendship to look like so I guess I'm wondering and I mean I know you've said that your particular group of friends are different and that might not be something that you you necessarily have to deal with but I'm wondering what might be some ways or opportunities for, I guess, straight guys, straight Jamaican men to kind of like work through that or to undo some of that, perhaps? Yeah, but before Douglas responds, I kind of want to complicate that narrative a little. I generally don't trust straight men. Okay. And that's not their fault. That's not every straight man's fault, I should say. Rather, it's just my set of experiences that means that the ways in which I, 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 there's no straight man that I know that I will never let my guard, even if like there's some now in my life that but I, I'm cool with, but I will never let my guard down fully around them. And so I'm, I'm thinking through them also, because this may be the experience of many gay men who've also learned to have their walls up if, in, when they're in close proximity to straight men in their circles. How can we also start to bring those walls down? and create lines of communication and search for shared experiences and kind of build a bond out of that. Because, yeah, because I know for a fact that there's a distrust that I have to work against. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm thinking that may also be a part of how we, we as well navigate, navigate spaces among and with straight men. So when you say you don't trust straight men, what, what do you mean? Like, you feel like at any given moment they could revert to you know, homophobic narratives or, you know, if they are homophobic behind your back, what, what exactly mean by you don't trust straight men? I guess for me, it means that there's a vulnerability that I have with the queer people in my life and with straight women. So they might trust. And there's a vulnerability I have with them where I, I, I give off, I'm a bad bitch all the while. And that's the energy that I have. And I feel like there's no point when I'm around that, if I'm around a straight man that I'm talking to, that I can just take away some of that and, and feel like, okay, I'm also just this regular person who is fun-loving and, and, and vulnerable and may, want it, and may be going through some relationship issues with a man, but I want to talk to, that, talk, about, talk to a friend about that. Like, I would, so when I say I don't trust them, I, when I think about friendships, I don't trust them to be the kinds of friends that I would need um, at a certain point in time. So I don't allow myself to build a certain kind of friendship with them. At most, we'll be cordial or cool. Or we, can, you know, we can hang out every now and then. But in terms of do I trust you with my feelings and my vulnerabilities, I've, it's not happened where I've, I've given that to some, a straight man. I'm a feeling, and I don't know if I ever would. Okay. And not just that, sorry. Not just that too. But there's this, at least for me, I feel this need to constantly police myself around straight men because, like Cornell mentioned earlier, the assumption is that you're always hitting on them or you want something from them. Um, I have this one dude that um, we were in college together and he disappeared for a while and then he saw me on, on campus and we reconnected. But ever since then, like the... And I don't know if he, I, it's hard to tell whether or not he's joking sometimes, but when we interact with each other, like when we have conversations, when we're around each other, um, he'll say some things and I'll say, you know, it's okay for you to feel like that or it's okay. Like it's, he'll say something about a guy wanting um, to sleep with, he's straight, but he wants to have like a, a homosexual experience or some foolishness like that, some, something to that effect. And I'll say, well, he's not wrong for feeling like that. There's nothing wrong. Like, you know, we exist on a spectrum. I gave him the whole speech and for me, like what he heard from that was that uh, I was just trying to make him comfortable so that I could get my way with him. And I was like, what? No, you, you asked me a question. I was just responding. So I've always felt the need to kind of like police myself to make sure that what I say doesn't sound like I'm flirting or it doesn't sound like I'm hitting on the dude or trying to butter him up so that later I could like stake my claim or make a move without him noticing. Just to add to Glenn Roy's point. What? Hey okay. girl. Yeah. Yeah. Like the most, yeah. Just to add to that girl. The most insulting thing for me is for straight men to think that I want them um, when anybody ever, ever look them way, to think that I'm coming to convert them. And so I'm always making sure that you see my sting face. I don't want you niggas, right? And so that's also a part of it as well. I always have to communicate that I don't want you, 
Um, and I, I know we're throwing quite a bit at you, <laughs> Douglas, and you might not remember, you know, out of the, the, the questions, but if I may add to that as well, I also feel like quote unquote straight guys do like really queer shit. And I'm not quite sure if it's a form of like intimacy or like repressed sexuality. So I'm also wondering if, no, not wondering if, but like I'm wondering about the, the kind of ways that like straight guys somehow either intentionally or unintentionally lead gay, my, gay men on through the shit that they do. And I mean, this is kind of like apart from the, the point about like just like predatory gay men generally, but like sometimes straight men do really queer shit and you kind of have to be like, mm, I don't know. Um, but, the, but the other thing I was thinking about too was when I first came to Canada, it was really hard for me to kind of make sense of like straight men's sociality because like straight guys who are nice, I was like, are they secretly gay or are they just like a nice person? So I think it also says something about how I understood or understand gay men in the like in Jamaican context because in my mind it was that like straight men are don't have the capacity to treat me as like a decent human being kind of vibe, which I thought was like very strange. Poor Douglas, I know your fault, yeah. I know your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I get something off, I would check. <laughs> I realize, I realize, all right. So to address what you guys are saying about um, straight men thinking every gay man looking them, I, not to be a not all men here now, but I definitely don't think every you know straight gay man is looking me i think the, the least amount of courtesy i can afford him is to assume that he's not trying to look me until he says something explicit which is what happened in mobay at some fest he definitely said something very explicit right. which is when i could be sure that he was looking at me and i was like ah no don't worry we're straight um, but generally i don't assume and i was explaining to my friend adley the other day that i generally don't assume that just by virtue of speaking to me that you know a gay man is trying to look me and as such I hug all of my friends. I'm generally a huggy person. A huggy person. I hug all my friends, my straight friends, my gay friends are like, I hug all of them. Because, the, and I remember I hugged, I hugged one at TJ one night and my female friend was like, you know, say I'm looking here, right? I was like, why are you assuming that? He's like, you never see the way him hug you. I was like, I think him hugged me like a, a normal human being. I don't think he's necessarily looking at me. So it's not just, it's not just men, you know. It's not just men think, Gay men are always looking straight men. Women think that too. But yeah, that's, that's where that is. I, don't, I generally don't think gay men are looking me. As much as I am a good looking person and generally people that assume that gay men are looking them are, you know, ugly men, I, I don't. To the point that Glenroy made re feeling vulnerable around straight men, that is definitely a very fair and justifiable position because straight men don't feel comfortable being vulnerable around straight men. So how could you, as a gay man, gay man, feel comfortable being vulnerable around, you know, a straight man? And I think that's one of the things that, you know, homophobia and patriarchy has indoctrinated within, within men. It's, it's, it's gay or feminine to be vulnerable, to speak about how you feel and um, you know, because of that, a lot of men don't actually talk about how they feel. And as soon as somebody starts talking about how they feel, it's why bringing that gay shit or um, yeah, woman or anything like that. And that's, that's just, you know, that's just how it is uh, among Jamaican men. And what we can do, you know, to mitigate some of that, you know, we don't have an answer for you because I'm not going to lie, they seem very set in their way, right? I'm not ready to stop being homophobic and vulnerable as a man. And there's going to be a very long, long and arduous road before we get to the point, you know, where people are comfortable being either of those Thank you for that comprehensive response. But, you know, you were talking and the one thing that that brought to my attention is just, I'm a hugger by nature, actually. So I like to hug my friends. But... If my if this, the the one the cisset person cisset man that I'm I'm cool with, if he even tries to like touch me or, or or hug me at all, I pull back almost instinctively. I think I've kind of learned. You know, say I'm so glad you said that because I remember I saw you at Isle of Soca and I went to hug you and you're like give me this this half hug like you asked me. I said why? Oh no! I said why can I move? So I said all right, don't worry about it. Oh, you see? So exactly like that. <laughs> I'm mean, talk about like it goes to the core of my like. Me just don't want you think me I look you so bad that me not want even 
like touch your and then something go you'll get misconstrued out of that so like i'm glad we're talking about this because i'm sure i'm not the only gay man who thinks this way that we always are trying to make sure we're not communicating interest that we also shut ourselves off from the type of even positive interactions that um, very open and understanding straight men may have with us because we don't want yeah like yeah it really just looking at the end says it the opposite is true for me actually like some straight men hug me like they'll they'll initiate the hug but then hug me just to make sure people know that it's one of those like it's 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 more of a friendly hug and not like i go with him hug and i'm just like dude i was perfectly fine with a high five or away from across the room if you didn't have to initiate this hug if you're gonna give me like douglas said it's like my stink on a beard half ass or hug <laughs> but then also also don't call to people in public because of that you know but that's also a virtue and that's not just straight men though but that's a virtue of my visibility coming to know who are who and so i don't readily even call to to, to certain people in public even if i see them them have to initiate the, the, the engagement becoming a one. Go call to you and the next thing you hear say become a call to you. I don't want to be responsible for nobody. That's really it. I don't want to be responsible for nobody and no drama when nobody got through. So I try my best for avoid contact. That's why I'm a friend because I tell me say I have an aggressive looking face because I always try to avoid getting a problem. But I mean, but, but that's uh, like a defense mechanism. That's, that's like a self-preservation method. So I mean, I think a number of people have described gay men as being either standoffish or aloof. And I wonder to what extent that has to do with just like trying to like building up certain barriers as a kind of like safety maintenance practice. It's safety for me, but it's also I think about and I guess this is something that some other people don't have to think about. I think about similar to learning. I don't I think about what the other people might go through, the other person might be going through as it relates to like visibility and so on, um, especially with straight men. And come always come back to straight men, right? I feel like I do this whole, like I give them this whole uh, preface whenever I meet them or whenever they express interest in being my friend. I was like, you know, when we get seen together in public, people are gonna automatically assume that you and I are an item. And some of them be like, I don't care. Some of them be like, well, thank you for the heads up. And I was like, yeah, I feel like I should let you know that. And so to Cornell's point, I, it's, it's, it's for my safety, but it's also for the safety of the individual who might, I don't know, see me in public and be like, hey, and I was just like, oh, let me act like I don't see that. I'm literally, I've literally acted like I haven't seen people that I know just, so, just because of like the setting that we're in. Again, it mostly happens in those like Caribbean heavy places or Jamaican heavy places where I'm not sure if me simply saying, hey, to a colleague is going to bring on some unwanted, I don't know, actions or statements. Actually, Douglas, I wanted to ask this question before and Karim reminded me of it, but has anyone ever challenged or questioned your straightness when you've, I don't know, advocated for or like challenged some of their like beliefs? Has that ever come into question at all when you've been talking to people? Cornell, I'm minding my business daily and people are assuming I'm gay. <laughs> anything i do people people are i'm pretty sure not i'm pretty sure i know there are a lot of people who already think i'm gay i went out with shannon one night and she put me on her snap and she got about three or four dms is he gay is he gay people just i, I don't know what it is but people generally think i'm gay As look at your pretty douglas let's oh. differ He's a nice <laughs> little good boy. That man is supposed to ugly. Yeah. <laughs> if you pay this much attention to yourself, you're probably a little bit SpongeBob meme. That's yeah, just so. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, mega be honest. I've heard it within the community as well. There are a good amount of us. If not think you're gay, we also are hoping you're gay. I'm not a <laughs> So yeah. set the record straight. But yeah, but no, so I think, and that's also, that's why when, when, when um, Cornell asked, or Cornell asked the question at the start, like, do straight men even worry about, like, packing and stuff like that? And, you know, 
when we see a man that's very attentive, because as I will always point out, us gay men, we grow up with the same stereotypes that everybody else grows up with. Well, I look and say, hmm, I wonder if. So I think a lot of it's a lot of a lot of it is a lot of that, and so. I also want to raise my own theory that homophobia is performative. And I feel like a lot of game, lot of, no, not gay men, straight men in Jamaica perform homophobia because they don't want to assume to be gay. And so the homophobia kind of, the burnout burns out the association with queerness. So that's a lot of reasons why uh, your friend, when the man did a look the two or no, or I look you, him never did, I doubt him did flare up and say nothing, but it's after the man left. Yeah, <laughs> it means to say, oh no, but me's not a Batman, I'm gonna like them things there. So homophobia cleanses the association in a certain burns away the association in that kind of way. And I guess it would, look, it would be great to hear if you if you're kind of based on your interactions with straight men, if you think the theory makes sense. I definitely think the theory makes sense. I never thought about it before you say, but it's pretty solid. It's definitely it definitely feels performative now that you bring it up. Because as you mentioned, friend never said nothing when the man was there. He waited till all of that was gone. And it's like, you know, say, you know, so I'm going to read that. It's like, it's like oh, okay, bro, I don't think you're gay. You don't have anything to prove to me. So, yeah, I definitely think that's a solid point. Um, but to, to um, continue on the point where you say about men who take care of themselves. I remember we went to this music festival in, in Atlanta last September. And it was four of us, four Jamaican, well, four men, four Jamaican men and one girl. And we had joined the, the drinks line. There was this big group in front of us. We weren't paying attention to who they were. We just knew there was a big group in front of us that were taking forever. So um, after about 20, 25 minutes of not moving, I look, I'm trying to look forward to the front of the line to see what's going on there. This girl comes around to us and she said, hey, my friend, uh, my friends think you guys are cute. You want to come up front and hang out with us? So all I'm thinking is, are these girls going to buy us drinks? If they're going to buy us drinks, then sure, I'll hang out, I'll hang out with you guys. Um, so I'm trying to look and see who she's pointing at. She say, um, that one there is single, that one wearing the cap is single, that one wearing the, the, the jacket is single. And I'm looking and I'm seeing any woman that she's describing. It's like, who are you telling me is single? When I take a second check, she's totally showing me her male friends, all wearing their rainbow jackets and their shirts and everything. So it was, it was like a, a gay community, a mini gay community there. And it's only when I look around, I'm, I, I look back at her and I'm like, you think we're gay? <laughs> you think we're all gay? So then she looks back in my face and she says, you're not? So I said, no, we're not gay. We're Jamaican. She said, oh, okay. Because the men up here don't take care of themselves like where you guys are like, you're, you're fit and you're, you're well lined up and everything. So we just kind of assumed you were gay. Which that that's true. Yeah. So that's 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 generally how it is. Douglas, in her defense, you were in Atlanta. So also I <laughs> so that's why I didn't wrong her too much. So she was making she was making good points. We were in Atlanta, we were all wearing these <laughs> and we're all well lined up. So I was like, all right. It was it was fair. <laughs> Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. Batman name is a different class. Batman, <laughs> oh my God. Listen, leave Atlanta alone. David lives in Atlanta and his his gay friend count skyrocketed when he moved. Oh wow. Skyrocketed. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So he has so many gay well, so many more gay friends now. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, you should be careful because I imagine you'll be getting a lot more gay friends after this. So, watch out. I believe it. I mean, I'm not averse to it. The issue is not the friends. Meglin, <laughs> 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 we don't feel. I think all the time that all friend, like, all friend DMs are welcome. I'm okay oh. with all friend DMs. But then I, I kind of limited it one time when there was a friend um, DM and we're going well for a while, you know. We'd, we'd, we'd speak daily and, you know, he'd tell me about his life. I'd motivate him because he was a depressed guy. And then, you know, eventually started, you know, telling me he liked me and stuff. I was like, no. I saw it start. You know, Sorry, but I saw it start. You know, I'm not gay. And, then he, and then he said, you know, yeah, well, I was kind of hoping that, you know, I could have swing you over. I was like, hey. Lord Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't matter. 
The martyrs of the community. I always want them, to be that one that brings them across the line. Them <laughs> them not help the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But rest assured, Douglas, if you see me sending a follow request, have a cause. It didn't come on the show. I respect you as a... As a <laughs> <laughs> I respect you. I respect you. I'm glad I'm trying not to have Mr. Anderson for response. Right. I <laughs> myself. I'm glad. I'm glad. Because the respect is definitely mutual. <laughs> Thank you. But do we have any other questions, Gwals? Because I think this is... an. This is an a, a convenient time, as the lawyers would say. <laughs> I don't have it. This was a good conversation. This was really, this was really good. Thank you, Douglas, for coming oh, on and sharing. Thanks for having me us. on the show. Thank you. You, you opened my mind to a lot of things. You know, you guys have to be mindful of that I just never, you know, thought of before. So I'm definitely grateful for the conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for being um, willing. I was within such a short um, space of time and, and coming on and just being open and honest and frank and, you know, just chilling and vibing. Uh, thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. This has been another wonderful, uh, provocative, exciting episode of Fish Tea. Tea. Find us on our socials at Fish Tea Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and at Fish Podcast at gmail.com. Stay sophisticated and bear things, and we will see y'all next week. Yeah, he yeah. said, say, he said, stay sophisticated and bear things. Lick him in head. Right. <laughs> I, I'm trying, I'm trying to do the, the patois thing. So, like, Douglas, so, what well, is the trouble? Yeah. Click, um, carnal about our patois. Last week, should, last week, should, <laughs> last week, should come on the show. I never know, said so the, the finger dumpling name, the long dumpling, and we're going to soup oh his name, God. spinners. I, I just call them dumpling. <laughs> And have the nerve hey, So long, so I'm calling them long dumplings. She just, I just call them dumplings. I just, I, I never knew that they they're were dumplings. Called, That's what I, I never knew they were called spinners. I was like, not spinners, <laughs> Carnel, spinners. Spinners, Carnel. Where the R come from? Spinners, <laughs> them name. Then, uh, Carnel, pronounce chicken back. <laughs> Say chicken back. Thank you. Yes. Chicken bark. <laughs> Y'all are rude. A week in a farin. <laughs> Douglas, hopefully next week at some point, we'll our paths will cross. What is soca party name? Where we got um Glen Ryan? Right? But soca supplement. Soca supplement. We need something flexible for that. We have to go find something for that. Oh yeah, come that come that shot also. Mm, so I'm gonna dash out. Maybe I'll pour out some. I don't know if I'll dash out. Yeah, I'll drizzle. <laughs> I'll pour out a little. I don't know if I'll, I'll dash out. I'll pour out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, this is nice. All right. Bye. Nice bye. Bye. Right, see ya.